Wonderful. Thank you, Pastor Sarah and James, for that super fun children's story. I love me some fed up cow. That was a fantastic story. I just realized that sentence probably sounded like I wanted a steak right now, and that's not true, but uh, yeah, I love that story. It's a wonderful lesson as well, to be content with who God has made us to be. Just a little side note. Um, oh man, his name is escaping me. This guy uh, who wrote a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church, Pete Scazzaro, that's the name. He has a, na- uh, a little quote that says something about um, finding God's will for your life in your limitations, which is, sounds kind of depressing, but at the same time is very profound because sometimes we find what we should be doing by discovering maybe what we're not good at or what we shouldn't be doing. So just a little food for thought there. Hey, I want to invite you to have a word of prayer with me before we jump into a a short little teaching this morning. Jesus, I just thank you for your goodness. Again, we say it every week and we can't say it too much. Thank you that even though our circumstances right now keep us from gathering together as we are accustomed to, I thank you for the technology that we have in place that we can continue gathering together, have some continuity with our church family and some connection and some shared experiences that will continue to tie us together and we move forward together. I ask that you bless richly each person viewing this worship service, this teaching moment right now. Ask that your hand be upon them, that it be felt. We just praise you for your goodness. Thank you for the word that you've given to us and ask that you bless us richly and guide as we open it up. Amen. So this is no shock to you, of course, and it feels probably a little redundant, but just have to say it, we've been living for several weeks now with a variety of restrictions, right? Lots of different restrictions. Restrictions on how we greet one another. Restrictions on how we go to work, if we can go to work, or if we work from home or not work at all. Restrictions on how we can meet with clients. Restrictions on how and where we can go shopping. Restrictions on how we interact with family and friends. Restrictions on who we can visit in the hospital. Restrictions on, yes, what church gatherings look like. And it feels like to me that this season is being defined at least as much by these restrictions as the actual virus that they are responding to. And so you'll forgive me for immediately thinking of today's circumstances a couple weeks ago when I was preparing for a, uh, a Zoom Sabbath school class with our young adult community Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And no, Paul was not writing to the church in Corinth of how to deal with the social restrictions of COVID-19, but my mind went here nonetheless when I got to verse 12, when the Apostle Paul says this. He says, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he acknowledges that their life has restrictions. You guys have restrictions, but you're not restricted by us, Paul says. You're restricted in your own affections. 
Paul insists that what is restricting the Corinthian Christians is not the gospel of Jesus. The good news that Jesus is alive, that he has conquered sin and death, that he is king over all, and that he has provided a new and better life for everyone. That's not what is restricting their lives. The restrictions are coming from somewhere else, Paul says. But we've got to pause for just a moment to acknowledge that we believe what Paul says is true, but there's not really an elephant in the room, but maybe a small baby elephant in the room with this thought. Because the life that Jesus has provided for us is best lived and enjoyed by following rules and guidelines that have been given to us in various ways throughout the inspired words of the Bible. There are rules and guidelines that tell us things not to do things to do, things to try to avoid as best we can, things to seek after. And in a sense, rules and guidelines are restrictions, depending on how you look at them, which should bring us back to Paul's words in verse 12. You're not restricted by us, Paul says, by our teaching of the gospel. That's not your restriction. You are restricted, he says, in your own affections. Paul says the problem is not good news or even rules and guidelines that inform how we should relate to that good news. The problem is the affections of our heart or how we think and feel about life and rules. My son James is about three and a half years old now. Whoever said it's terrible twos, they lied. Three, watch out for three prospective parents someday. That's the one, man. I love you, James. I know you're watching, so yeah. But, you know, I find myself giving him rules that to him, no doubt, appear, appear like restrictions, okay? I've, there's rules that, that my parents gave me when I was his age, and I'm sure I responded a lot like James does. Uh, but one of these rules is don't play in the street. To me, it seems like a pretty good rule, right? Don't play in the street. But, you know, when James hears these words, his very on-brand three-and-a-half-year-old response is, why? Why? You see, he doesn't understand why I, his loving father, would want to keep him from playing absolutely everywhere. The world is his playground. Why does dad say not here? Crazily enough, you know what? I often struggle with rules just like my son. I see rules as restrictions sometimes, things that I can't do. It's keeping me from something, even though I am a rule maker today. Talk about hypocrisy. But what does that rule don't play in the street, what does that accomplish if it is followed? Well, if James doesn't play in the street, he can play freely and confidently, knowing he is safe in a safe place without needing to worry about cars coming to run him down, right? And also, the drivers in my neighborhood don't need to be swerving and braking to avoid kids playing in the street or have to deal with the trauma of having injured a child, even innocently. It turns out that the rule, don't play in the street, enables peace and joy far more than it restricts it. In fact, I would say that ignoring good rules and guidance is what restricts 
peace and joy. But that's talking about behavior. See, Paul is talking here about emotions and affections. And so we want to turn our thoughts to that direction. Because we all know what it's like to begrudgingly follow rules, right? For many of us, that's like a daily reality on the freeway. It's like I'm begrudgingly following the speed limit. If I had my way and nobody else told me anything different, I might drive a little bit quicker. Maybe some of you drive a little slower. I don't know. But... Some, we, be, we know what it's like to begrudgingly follow rules. It can be difficult. And it can produce a little bit of peace and joy maybe for others when we begrudgingly follow rules. But even following the rules can restrict peace and joy if it's done begrudgingly without love. It's not the rules that restrict us that keep us from the good life. It's our attitude toward the rules It's our perspective. It's, as Paul would say, the affections of our hearts. So I want to just describe two different paradigms for you today for us to contemplate. Just two very general paradigms. The first one is a perspective that says what I naturally and instinctively want is good. And rules tend to limit me. Okay, so that's paradigm number one. What I naturally and instinctively want is good. Rules are a problem. Paradigm number two is what I naturally and instinctively want is kind of flawed. And rules can empower me. So that's paradigm number two. One says what I naturally and instinctively want is good. The other says what I naturally, instinctively want can be flawed. One has a tendency to think that rules are limitations. The second paradigm thinks that rules tend to empower them. You're probably like me in that you operate from each of these two paradigms at various times throughout the day, vacillating back and forth so often and quickly that you don't always notice that you flip-flopped back and forth. Have you ever been in... Sorry to always bring you back to traffic, but now you know my big struggles. If... If if you're late for an appointment and you're driving really quickly and you're willing to maybe cut a few corners here and there and then somebody else does something dangerous and cuts you off, how quickly we vacillate toward the, dude, the rules empower life. Follow the rules. Like we, we have a kind of a double standard there sometimes. At least I know I do. So if you're like me, odds are that you are in some way, shape or form in your life. You switch back and forth between these throughout the day. But today... Um, I want to invite you to spend some thoughtful minutes this afternoon in prayer considering these three questions. So I want to invite you, if you're at home, to grab a piece of paper or something to write these down on. If you're here in the sanctuary, I want to invite you to do the same, to uh, grab something to jot these ideas down because, seriously, I want you to spend a little bit of time, 15, 20 minutes at least this afternoon, if you can, carve that out prayerfully considering these three questions. The first question is this. Which paradigm of those two, which paradigm do I operate from the majority of the time? Which paradigm do I operate from the majority of the time? Is it that first one that says that, hey, what I want is good, rules tend to get in my way? Or is it that second paradigm that says, man, what I want sometimes, it's just my, my instinctive urges, can be flawed and selfish, and the rules tend to empower me. Which one of those two do you spend 
do you operate from the majority of the time? It's the first question. The second question, what are my percentage splits? Is it 50-50? Do I spend 70% of my time really resisting rules and 30% of my time embracing the rules? Do I spend 60% of my time thinking that what I want is good? Do I spend the other 40%? Eh, I think that I have some, some issues inside. How, what are your percentage splits? Just curious. Consider that prayerfully. And the third question is, which paradigm, which of those two do I want to grow in my life? Which of those two paradigms do you want to see more of in your life? And those are, this is not just an introspective activity to do on your own. I very much encourage you to bathe this in prayer. I'm firm a believer that God knows us better than we know us. And so I want to invite his input into these three questions in your life as well and spend some time listening for his voice to maybe guide you a little bit into discovering your answers a little better. But after prayerfully considering these three questions, I want to invite you to do two more things. These are ongoing things, things that, yes, you should do this afternoon, but you should also do probably this evening and tomorrow morning and tomorrow throughout the day and on through your life. And the first one is this. Commit to reminding yourself often of Paul's words here. Whatever your view is on the human condition, we can all acknowledge that we all have a bent towards looking for our personal interests and desires over those of others. And when anybody enters our life with some sort of a rule, guideline, teaching, instruction to how we should maybe adopt a different behavior or mindset to live a better life, we can kind of uh, feel restricted a bit in there. So I want you to commit to reminding yourself often of Paul's words. And I want to change the sentence structure just a little bit so it can become a statement that we can say to ourselves and to each other. That's this. I am not restricted by the gospel. My restrictions come from my affections. I am not restricted by the gospel of Jesus. My restrictions come from my affections. And the second thing, which is probably the most important is invite the Holy Spirit to bring Jesus' affections into your heart to replace your own. After all, that is when life is at its best. When you feel like doing what you should be doing, right? It's best when you feel like doing what you should be doing. I mean, if you have to do it begrudgingly, if you have to follow rules begrudgingly, Following those guidelines is still good, whether that would be a speed limit, a pandemic guideline, or loving your enemy. But life is best when our feelings fall in step with the faith that we operate from. Ask the Spirit to give you the affections of Jesus so that you might want to follow the guidance that will bring you the most peace and joy while bringing peace and joy to those around you. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Rodney shared a beautiful 
albeit difficult, teaching on contentment in Jesus. If you missed out Pastor Rodney's sermon, I believe it was two weeks ago, um, on Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You want to go back and catch that. I was deeply moved by the teaching, but I got to admit, I didn't anticipate a confrontation in my own life over the matter this quickly. So let me just uh, digress a little bit. Journey with me here. See, when Sarah and I got married, she brought a truck into our marriage. A 1999 Ford Ranger, extended cab, bright green, four-wheel drive, manual transmission, all that good stuff. And uh, over the years, I've driven it a lot uh, to the point where a lot of people assume that it's mine. But Sarah is the cool one in our relationship. When we got married, I was driving a blue Buick LeSabre, which granted was a more comfortable ride than that truck, but uh, on the cool factor, probably a little bit less than a nice bright green pickup. Anyway, I have had over the years a love-hate relationship with that truck. It's brought some really good things into my life. Sarah taught me to drive a manual transmission in that truck. Yeah, that was lots of fun. Um, it, that was when Sarah and I began dating at Southern Adventist University back in the day. That was, between the two of us, the only vehicle that we had at the, the moment. And so everywhere we went, all dates and stuff like that took place with that truck. So some good memories there. It's been incredibly helpful in numerous ways, moving, household projects, landscaping projects, all this kinds of stuff. This truck has been very, very useful. But it's also designed for somebody a little bit smaller than me. And I lost track years ago how many times I've slammed the side of my head into the door frame sliding into the truck because it's just a little too low. In addition to that wonderful thing, it's got a four-cylinder engine, which you might think, okay, more economical. Not much power, but more economical. But, you know... No, it gets horrible gas mileage too. So it's kind of this worst of both worlds moment there when driving this thing. It's not that great of a driving experience. And over the years, I have struggled to be content with that truck. It's our family's second vehicle, so it's a bit of a luxury. But man, I've wanted something different for a long time. I try to coach myself to be content with it. Thank God for the blessing that it is. Man, it's a struggle. <laughs> Every time I drive it, I'd rather be driving something else. Until yesterday, <laughs> in the middle of a uh, landscaping project, the clutch went out, and now it's a boulder that refuses to move, and uh, the cost estimate to repair it is over three times the market value of the truck. So it's pretty much done. And ever since that happened yesterday, my struggles with contentment on this issue have amplified. Because now I don't even have the truck that I love hate. The affections of my heart, gotta be honest with you, are with a Honda Ridgeline. Don't judge me, I have my reasons. But I know, and this is what's been confronting me over and over and over in the last 36 hours, I know that the bigger problems for me are not my lack of a second vehicle. More than I need a pickup, 
I need to be content with the provision of my Lord. I need to be content with what I have more than I need another new thing. I want that more. And when I don't want that contentment more, I want to want that more. And so today, this afternoon, maybe, if you please, when you have your moment of prayer, I want to ask that uh, you pray for me as well, because I'm struggling a bit. I've got to be completely honest with you there. But when you pray for me, don't pray that I get a new truck. <laughs> That's not what I need right now. <laughs> I don't want one if I can't be content without it. So if you have any moment of prayer for me today, I ask that you pray that I receive that contentment while I pray for you. I want to invite our, our worship team to come up. We're going to have, as kind of our closing prayer moment today, a song that has been uh, speaking a lot to me since I first heard it couple, about a month or so ago, and um, really reflects kind of the way I'm, I'm feeling regarding my own personal circumstances at the moment. Uh, the song is called Nothing Else, and it's a, a prayer acknowledging that, Jesus, I just want to be in your presence. I want to be content with you and everything that you've given to me. I'm not here to ask for things. I'm just here to be with you and nothing else. So I want to invite you to just make this your prayer as we uh, sing this song. I'm going to want to grab my iPad real quick. I'm sorry 
when I forgot that you're enough take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I'm caught up in your presence and I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave Never want to leave Oh, I'm not here for blessing Jesus, you don't owe me anything More than anything that you I just want you I'm caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to For blessings, Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you, I just want you, nothing else. Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you 
that in him we have more than more than enough. I ask that you give us your Holy Spirit, give us in our hearts the affections of Jesus, that we might find increasing measures of contentment in our lives with the provision that you have seen fit to give to us. May we recognize that on our own, apart from you, our, our desires, our instincts have their flaws. We thank you for giving us guidance, even rules, to help us to live well in the good news of your kingdom. As we seek to grow ever closer to you, just ask that you put a desire in our hearts to sit at your feet, to be blessed by you. I pray in the name of Jesus, amen.